What's up, gifted family? Welcome to another episode of the show that is the GP YouTube. Just a reminder that if you support what we do here, make sure to go over to giftedperformance.com and sign up for our automated coaching service. For only a dollar a day, you'll get access to 15 highly customized training programs, a macronutrient calculator, our meal planning feature that lets you build and save meals based on your macros, as well as access to our private Facebook group. All subscriptions help us in continuing to put out great content to get you to your fitness goals. Thanks for stopping by, and without any further delay, let's get into today's video. Enjoy. Hey guys, welcome back. Another episode of the GPP, the Gifted Performance Podcast, where we give you the knowledge and practical takeaways to improve your own general physical preparedness. You don't know this, but we are recording this right after the last episode. So the day after, putting in the work for you guys so that you can get smarter, more jacked, leaner, more sexually appealing. So the next time you're getting laid, think about these four guys right here and all the things that we did for you on this podcast. Hours of work to make sure that that happens. It's the same crew as the last one. All the tags are below. It's Mr. Jason Holt. It is Dominic, Team Kuza himself, and Polly underscore Rocket. Hi. Hey, how are you? Paul, what's what's like the, the go or don't go on the nose strip? Because I feel like your nose strip for, is like a periodization thing. You periodize your nose strip each morning. I'll tell you why why this happens. I'm a piece of shit, and I run out of things, and I don't have to leave my house for anything almost ever. So I just won't have them for the next two or three weeks, and just deal with it. Understandable. Okay. Yeah, that's a great. That's a great. That's a great. Uh... Explanation there. I got the Tampa Bay Bucks hat on today. I am not a bandwagon fan, but I do love me some Tom Brady. He's a beautiful man. He's hard to hate, and uh, they just won the Super Bowl. So when this episode comes out, that might be a little bit older news, but we do love Tom Brady. We're a group that loves some Tom Brady. Speaking of NFL, Dom, are you an NFL fan? Are you upset with the Matt Stafford trade? Are you good with the Matt Stafford trade? How do you feel about it? I'm not. I'm from Detroit, but I'm not a Lions fan. <laughs> All right, hates the Lions. Jay is an Indianapolis Colts fan, and they were in the running for Mr. Stafford himself. I think it would have been a good fit. Hey, there it is. A true fan. It would have been a good fit. Who are you hoping for as quarterback now that Matt Stafford is accounted for? Uh, anyone not named Carson Wentz. Ooh, sir, you might be a little bit disappointed in the days to come. I think he might be headed your way. Would you, okay, so would you rather take Phil Rivers, like as he is today, or would you go with Carson Wentz? Uh, oof. You know, I'm not a big P. Rivers fan. Uh, he did, he, I guess he did, a, he did a good job last season. I'm not, I'm not mad at him in general, uh, but Carson Wentz just makes me very nervous. He seems, Carson, if you're watching this, this is no offense, but he seems a little soft. Um, so I'm not, I don't feel overly, um, I guess, confident with Carson Wentz behind the helms. Yeah, I can get behind that. How would that. you feel if he confronted you in real life and he was like, I heard you think I'm soft? <laughs> oh, I'd probably go, oh, Carson, I apologize about that. Uh, no, those, those are just jokes, baby. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't just think, like uh, baby. Yeah. Yeah, he's a he's a giant human being, I'm sure, just like most NFL players are. Uh, so I would probably, you know, back down a little bit off my stance. I, I did have an idea with Tom Brady being a Colts fan. I dislike Tom Brady forever. And I always said, like, if I met Tom Brady, I'd probably give him like a quick kick, you know, to like uh, the ACL or something like that. But now I'm a big Tom Brady fan because the guy got hammered drunk and then stumbled around Tampa Bay. So I'd love that. I'd love to see another old man get hammer drunk to the point where someone else has to carry him around. I'd love that. Well, at the next Gifted Performance Retreat, Jay, you can be that hammered old man. Do you think can when we, Tom, can we, Tom Brady gets hammered drunk, like people are worried about letting him around his family? <laughs> He's going to make out with his son too hard. <laughs> 
No, it's <laughs> funny. In one of those videos, when he throws the trophy, his daughter's behind him going, no, daddy, no. And he turns around, he throws, he's like, <laughs> just like every other 40 plus year old man, when you get hammered drunk, you do something stupid, you turn around, you're like, yeah. <laughs> Shut the hell up. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> All right. That's enough Tom Brady talk. Let's get into some actual questions. All right. So today we're going to start off a little different. We like to pepper in a lot of the training, the nutrition, the supplement questions. We're going to be talking a little bit more uh, on the personal side of things today. Um, so at loom 15 underscore. Ugh, I'm bad with names. Horny. Oh, that's definitely not it. Horny. <laughs> Horny? I don't know how to go about this one now. Howerny? Dom, are you feeling Howerny today? <laughs> I don't know how to navigate this one. I'm going to spell it. I think it's Horny. Is it? I'm <laughs> sorry about that. I'm sorry about that. Um, but all right. Uh, Mr. Horny himself, or Mrs. Horny. Could, I don't want to gender this individual. Um, how do you manage your work-life balance? Um, I think Dom has some very uh, interesting viewpoints on his work-life balance. Dom is the one who has the greatest client load of the four of us. So we'll start with him, um, considering his his work demands are probably a little bit higher than the rest of us. And we'll take it from there. Yeah. Uh, so for me, the big thing I do is um, I, bro I broke up all my clients across the week. So like, it's not just like one big check-in day. I have multiple check-in days through the week. And then, uh, you know, it, it, working for yourself and working from home, you kind of have to like, you kind of have to be like on top of yourself constantly because you could definitely fall into like, oh, I could take a break or things like that. So I'm pretty strict with my schedule. Um, I like to like start on the computer at like 9 a.m. every day, get working. And then I usually like to finish about six, seven o'clock. Um, after that, I kind of just like put the phone away, put it on do not disturb. And like pretty much I'm I'm closed at that point. Um, if I get emails and stuff that come in after that, I kind of like look at them as like what sense of urgency does this require for me to answer or not to answer? If it's a question that's something simple and I can answer the next day, I'll do that. Um, some days I don't work at all. Um, my email has like an automatic response. It says I'm closed. If it's an emergency, reach out again, and then I'll get a double email. Um, so Sundays are one day that I don't work at all. Um, and I think it's important to have that because with my workload, it can definitely get really overwhelming at times where I'm just feel like I'm constantly answering a text, answering an email, doing an update, doing a training program. Uh, so. Having that one day a week definitely helps a lot. And then uh, spreading out all my work definitely has helped uh, a good amount. So I like it, you know, I pretty much have that like nine to five kind of day, but then I just try to finish, be done. And if somebody needs something kind of like after hours, I just gauge it on like how serious is it that I have to answer right now. Maybe use this as a as a PSA point right here for all of Dom's clients that are watching. What constitutes a late night email that gets answered versus a late night email that doesn't get answered? Um, you know, if something comes in like 9 30, 10 o'clock at night, like, can I eat this instead of this? Like, I'm not probably gonna answer that. Like, you you could have asked me during the day if that was gonna be an issue that you knew was gonna arise. I could have helped you with that. Um, you know, just simple things like that. Or like uh, sometimes like if sometimes if people are training at night and have an issue with their training. So like if it's like eight o'clock, they send me a video like, hey, this form feels off. I'll answer that because like they're training. I don't want them to get hurt. So like at that point, I can take the second to be like, hey, fix this, do that. It's just a quick text or a quick email. Um, and then if somebody's having like a a little bit of like a psyche kind of, you know, issue where they're stumbling like mentally, I'll answer that right away. I won't let that go to the next day just to kind of talk them out of whatever they're thinking or if they just need some reassurance or whatever. Um, I'll try to do that right away. Um, but usually I'm in bed and asleep by like 10, 1030. So um, 
you know, if I don't answer after that time, uh, most of the time it's because I'm sleeping. Paul, you want to take that a little further? Offer your own input there? So, like, just fucking look at me, like, right now. Do I look like the type of dude? Half these podcasts, I'm still wearing a nose strip. Like, you could probably look at me and be like, this dude just fucked around on Instagram till 11. He woke up, fucked around on Instagram till 11, hopped on this podcast. There is no work-life balance. <laughs> fucking not. I mean, just just developing a schedule like Dom. I don't, I don't work on Saturdays, or I try not to unless I'm really fucking busy. I try not to work like when my girlfriend comes home from work. So when I fuck around until 11 on Instagram and then do these podcasts, I get a solid two or three hours of work done. And then I train. Um, but yeah, I don't know, man. It's just part of like sort of learning. Like when you first start coaching, you're like, man, I'm so passionate about this. And what I always try and warn people about is uh, like not letting passion go uncontrolled because it's like really easy and fun at first to work like 10 hours straight and get like four hours of sleep a night and like think that this is your life and what you want to do forever constantly and you're like oh i could keep i just fucking love this this is my passion and then one day you wake up and you're like oh fuck what happened to that this sucks now yeah i would agree with that i think (laughs) red flags for me when i hear people talk about this stuff is like the coaches that build themselves or advertise themselves as like you have access to me 24-7. Like, that shit ain't going to last. That is not going to last. The red or like, flags. Grind, grind don't stop. It's like, the grind does stop. It, it does stop. It <laughs> will eventually. The grind don't stop in month one through six, but you're going to wish the grind would stop after that. Please, grind. No more. I can handle no more. Yeah. I think the red flag to me is when people talk about it, like with just so much conviction, it's my passion. I'm like, you're burnt. You're going to burn yourself out. Like it happens. Yeah. Like anyone who speaks that way about anything, you don't know. You're, you're just driving yourself into the ground. It's not sustainable. <laughs> Jay, as someone who has recently come out of retirement to grace us with your talents, is this something that like in your first go at things that you experienced with like poor work-life balance? <laughs> Oh, totally. I mean, that was sort of my, that was like my motto was, you know, the grind doesn't stop. You know, I'm going to do this for 15 hours a day. This is just my thing. I'm so passionate about it. Um, You know, I was, you know, the four hour night sleeper because I thought that's what I had to do. And, you know, it just grinds you into the ground. And then at the end of the day, you kind of look at your, you look at your, the work that you've done, you're like, that's not very good. It's because you're exhausted the majority of the time. So, I mean, uh, that work-life balance thing is definitely what kind of pushed me away into that sort of extended sabbatical just because I, I didn't have any of that. And then what happened was I had a child and then I really didn't have much of a choice, but to have a work-life balance because he doesn't give a shit about what I have to do (laughs) at all in any way shape or form so you know it's immediately i was like oh this isn't gonna work anymore so you know i have to create now i have sort of very hard defined took a step back was like i fucked something up here (laughs) (laughs) here's the thing i mean that the first year we had a kid uh i was trying to finish grad school and finish and having a kid and trying to be a coach and I had like, I was running a restaurant at the time, so I wasn't sleeping. And then I got pneumonia. And then I was like, oh, this is not the way things should work at all. So, so you know, now I have very <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I've hit my, uh, my work MRV. Uh, but anyway. Stop. You're going to get Paul going. But now I just have like very defined sort of almost non-negotiable endpoints where i'm like this is it i don't go beyond this point and like like dom was saying like I'll, I'll triage things a little bit now i mean if someone you know like dom was saying also if someone's about to jump off the fence then i might take the time to reel them back in a little bit um, i also don't I, I try not to give out my personal phone number i try to handle most things through email just because you start handing out your phone n- number uh, you can just get texts at all sorts of times of the night and i try to not have my phone in my hand all day 
Uh, so that's that's probably the way I balance it now is I just have sort of hard stops and I definitely triage the things that are important and the things that aren't important. It's like Dom said, if you're asking me about something that you're going to eat, uh, probably the answer I'm going to tell you is uh, just go back to doing the thing that you were doing before so you don't have to worry about these questions and then we'll deal with this tomorrow. Yeah, I don't give my phone number out. Uh, that was one thing that like I, I do everything through email, um, which might be annoying to some people, but just from a like a big work-life balance. Like, I don't want to get texts all day long about, you know, if you need something, email me it. And I actually like having it through email because like everything ends up in a nice thread. You can search stuff really fast if you need to like go back to something. Um, you know, that that's a big reason why I like email. And then with my phone, the only notifications I have on is my email. Instagram's turned off. Uh, my texts are just like, who I have like pinned at the top. Those are the only notifications that'll come in. So like email is still treated like as my highest priority, but I rather have emails come in than a bunch of texts or even some people just like call out of the blue, like, uh, which I think is a little unnecessary, but. <laughs> I, uh, I think just in general setting boundaries, cause I, I give my number out to clients, but like if you text me at 10 o'clock, you're after so many responses of me either saying, hey, remind me to hit this tomorrow, like you're just going to stop, right? Or if you catch me in a really bad mood and I'm just like, hey, man, don't text me at 10 o'clock at night. Just don't, you know, like. <laughs> it's also kind of hard to respond like eventually working. You were talking about this, Paul, working with clients in like other times that send you training videos so i have quite a few clients that are out on the west coast that are sending me training videos that like probably could use some feedback in the moment but dom and i are very similar in that we're you know in bed shutting things down phones off phones not being paid attention to at like 10 30 i'm getting these these training videos that might need so even like setting the bounds with clients like that of just saying hey listen like this is out of both of our control. Like you're in a different time zone. I'm getting these texts from you at a very late time for me. We just have to understand from the outset that like these training videos aren't going to get reviewed till the morning. Some clients are going to be okay with that. Some clients are not going to be okay with that. And that's a, a conversation that needs to be had. And, and maybe if that client is looking for more immediate feedback, they can change their training time or, you know, work with a coach that might be in a, a similar time zone as them if they need that. Another thing I wanted to add, and we were kind of talking about this in the group chat, the coaches group chat is like, people for some reason still have this misconception that like online coaching like isn't a real job. They're like, oh, you know, it's just like a, it's like this thing that you do on the side and like, you know, you're friends with your clients and they can text you whenever, email you whenever, talk about whatever the hell they want. Um, and the analogy that I try and give people is like, imagine like, that I'm your plumber or imagine that I'm your real estate agent. Like, would you text your real estate agent at like 1130 at night and just be like, Hey, saw a cool house. Like that dude would tell you to go fuck yourself or like, or just send hey, him a meme. <laughs> yeah. Send him a meme. That's like, Hey, this reminded me of like when my pipes were leaky. Like if I was a plumber, <laughs> I'd come to your house and I'd fight you. I would fight you the next day. Like, yo, don't ever text me that shit again. So like, you know, you know, you know what I think it is though? Like us collectively, as coaches at Gifted, we're not very uh, materialistic on Instagram. So people probably look at it like, oh, they don't make much money. They just do this for fun. You know, this is their hobby. You know, I'm sure Dom has another job or he does something else. Like, I think that's the kind of things like people like look at us as like as we're as, as horrible as it is to say, like they might see somebody like on a materialistic level online and be like, oh, this is his company. This is his business. That's what he does. But it's because they show all of that out, out there that they treat them maybe like, oh, this is a serious business versus like us. I mean, we we all have education and everything. And we just have like we like to have fun with all this. And they kind of probably are like, oh, they do this for fun. This is this is his hobby. Like this isn't a real job like kind of thing. Like, I mean, for how long, if I told somebody, yeah, I work from home pre-COVID, they'd be like, what the hell do you do? Like, what do you mean <laughs> you work from home? Like, 
it would be understandable if they had a camera watching me all the time. I'd be like, okay, I understand why you don't think I work a real job. But, <laughs> nah, fuck it. <laughs> no, I actually, honestly, I feel like most of my clients, they, they do get it and they understand. They're like, you know, that they, they get it that I have like 50 clients and or whatever. But what I think it is, is that there's like a good portion of clients that look at you almost as like a friend and they want that friend relationship like anybody probably would in a situation where because it's cool it's cool to be friends with like the boss or like the professor or you know what i mean yeah and for some people some people don't have a lot of real life relationships as well and i think sometimes they try and find that in a coach another reason why you have to set certain boundaries too because things can get really weird so when Paul was at like the pinnacle of his dieted down like neuroticism, he would like blow up the group chat at like midnight or even later sometimes just with like general prep insanity of the, the weird thoughts that creep into your mind when you can't sleep at night. And <laughs> I wanted to throw my phone at the wall just as bad as when I get like a front squat video at like midnight and it's like, hey. I watched the video and I followed all the notes that you gave me and I know that my form is good, but I need you to tell me that my form is good so that I can continue. I got just as mad, so I want to throw that out there. I know you did because sometimes I basically will have a full conversation with myself before oh, anybody replies. Jesus, put my phone on, like, do not disturb. It's still lighting up. Like I'm getting like FaceTimes from Paul. He's like, Ryan, are you there? Hello, are you there? Please talk to me. <laughs> Paul, please stop. I have a baby Jimmy at home and she's still growing. She needs her sleep. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Loom, Mr. or Mrs. Horny. I hope that answered your question. Start circling back. Um, next question comes from a gifted affiliate herself, Miss Shelby McClurg. Yo, Shelby's hilarious. I think Cam coaches her. She's hilarious. The like posts, the, the, Q&As she posts like to ask me anything. Some of the questions she gets, so funny. So funny. Guys, quit being so creepy on Instagram. Actually, don't because it's really funny for me. Um, all right. Shelby asks, how did you all meet each other? So Jason, myself, and Paul all have a mutual acquaintance. We met. We all responded to the same, same Craigslist orgy ad, and we all met. And it was mind-blowing. It was mind-blowing. Jay brought his famous suck and I sucked that ass. <laughs> I think we need to cut that out. We definitely want to cut that out. Jake, we're going to make a little timestamp there. The suck suck that ass. It's got to go. It's got to go. I took it too far. All right. Um, how did Paul and myself meet? So Paul and myself met through a mutual acquaintance who was living with Paul at the time um, and stalking me at the time. We'll call it stalking, harassing, whatever you want to call it. He basically jumped out on rent for Paul, said, fuck it, I'm not paying my rent anymore. And I messaged Paul and I was like, hey, man, can you tell your uh, roommate to leave me the fuck alone? And Paul was like, funny story, he's not my roommate anymore. And Paul and I united over our hatred for this individual. So funny story, the last communication, the reason why I messaged Paul in the first place was because I got an email at 2.30 a.m. from this individual. The subject line of the email just said, bitch. I was like, I'm enticed. I'm coming in for more. I got to see what the body How angry could you be? You're just sitting there at 2.30, like staring at your computer screen. <laughs> so subject line, bitch. I'm clicking on that right away. I got to know what this individual has to say. Subject of the, or body of the email was, you're a pussy. I was like, man, that was enlightening. And I appreciate it. That was a great email. And then I messaged Paul. And then Paul, you know, found out that Paul was doing his own kind of coaching thing. Put our minds together. Um, and Paul, I think Paul was actually the first coach that I reached out to when Gifted first started getting going. It was Paul... Tom, Hector, and Mike. Mike, we're in that original group. Um, Jay, how did how did you and I meet? 
that was back in, I don't know if I can even say the name of the gym because they dislike us so much. Um, oh, but God. man, for life, the wonderful life band. Yeah, I don't think either one of us can go back there. But uh, I think that's where we met. I remember that was back when we, everybody was doing DUP during contest preps. So we were just, oh, yeah. you know, swinging for the fences every week, week in and week out. And I think I was probably doing sumo deadlifts because they apply so well to hypertrophy. Absolutely. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, this is 2016. So that's what everybody was doing. So I think I had on some deadlift socks. I was deadlifting for hypertrophy, singles and triples and such. And then you walked in, and I think it was like love at first sight. You know, I was just you looking saw back. People like, this guy's all was. about science. He's doing the DUP. He's doing sumo deadlifts, and he's a natural bodybuilder. Yeah, I, I, all the things. <laughs> I looked at Jay. I said, wow, this guy's doing sumo deadlifts for hypertrophy. I'm here to do six by 12 at 65% of my one RM on back squat and deadlift in the same day. We are equally suicidal. Let's be friends. Let's, let's unite over this. And then further through that relationship is where we realized that we had that same mutual stalker that was Paul's roommate. Yeah. I didn't know that. It all comes yeah. together. We have more bonding yeah. to do after this. He, yeah. has, he has truly touched many people's lives. <laughs> many many people's lives and then so i didn't know mr kuza until he originally came on the podcast i was like who the fuck is this this whippersnapper talking fast talking about hormones and whatnot i bet he's a moron doesn't even understand what he's talking about turns out wasn't a moron at all and he's now one of what i would consider my bffs i think that you met did you met Paul first, or you met? Did you meet Paul first, or you met Cam, or did you unfortunately yeah. meet them both? I'm pretty sure time? we just found Dom in a dumpster somewhere. We had, <laughs> we had to nurse him back to health. I nursed him with my own tit actually. Had first, Cam had his first client he ever prepped do a show in Michigan, and then I was at that show. I had a client in the show. They battled for the overall. I lost to Cam. Was super salty about it. Politics. <laughs> Followed Cam. Did you did you DM him Cam and you're like you can't even peek people. He looked like ass. How how did this happen? So uh, and then I followed Cam. Cam and I talked here and there. Um, and that was really it. And then he, I think he brought it up to you to have me on the podcast. Yeah. Said I know this real smart guy. Name's Kuza. So, all right, let's have him on. Let's test him. Little did you know that was your interview and you passed. So, oh. Well done. The other members of the team. So I get a lot of questions, or we actually get a lot of questions of like, how do I join the gifted performance team as a coach? Like, do I apply? Do I have to like prove myself? Is there like a blood ritual? Is it like, do I have to get jumped in? And all of the above are true. You have to apply, and then we're going to jump you, and then there's the blood ritual, and then you have to live with Paul for a six-month interning phase, like and six then you are welcomed days. onto the team. Jay actually got pneumonia, that previous story, the pneumonia story. That was from living with Paul. It's just not It's not clean quarters over there. It's it's a dirty place to be. Yeah, pink eye. Um, the Gifted Performance team accepts coaches on an invitation basis, a collaborative invitation basis. We see you. We like what you're laying down. We'll contact you. Don't contact us. Is that what, is that what they say? Don't call us. We'll call you. That's kind of our, our policy around here. Um, however, we do still have our Gifted Performance affiliate program. If you would like to be a member, you like what we're putting down over here at GP. You can always apply to be a Gifted Performance affiliate. Um, DM the Gifted Performance account or DM your resume to at Tomas, T-O-M-A-S underscore Neil. So DM, no email, DM, copy and paste your entire resume and slide in that man's DMs. He loves it. All right, Shelby, that's how we met. Um, our next question comes from at Super underscore boo zero so like majin boo what i named what we named our dog our little puppo um super boo asks what are 
your guys' personal goals in the fitness industry. So we were kind of talking about this before we started the recording, and we looked at this from two angles. So like, what is what are your goals as like an athlete? And then what would your goals be as like a coach slash influencer? Sounds dumb and I hate it. Um, so Eric Helms, I'm going to steal your term. Uh, science communicator. I like that term much, much better than influencer. Influencer just sucks. It's just a, they, they took that word and ruined it. Um, all right, so let's start off with athletes. What would be your goals as an athlete in the fitness industry? Dom, you've got a competition coming up. You're prepping right now. So we will start with you, sir. What would your goals be as an athlete? IFBB pro or bust? Uh, no. Uh, but I don't know. I guess I'm, I don't even know why I'm competing. <laughs> I think I just want to compete. <laughs> just, to, just to get in shape. <laughs> How about because it's but, fun? Uh, yeah, it's fun. Like I actually enjoy the process of getting ready for a show. Um, I think athletically, like I don't know, just I love training. Like training is by far my favorite thing. So as like an athlete, just I guess my personal goal is just to maybe just see how long I can train like progressively for, and you know, learn new stuff for training and just get better at it. Um, physique goals wise. I mean, I'm, just with hypertrophy training itself, it's just constantly just getting bigger in a not super fast way so I don't burn out, but I can do it over a long period of time. Um, I guess that's like my athlete kind of goal. This show really is just like, I want to see where I can push myself to. Um, I want to see if I can beat, you know, a past show like conditioning and look. And I'm like 30 pounds heavier too, so it should be cool. <laughs> I would say you're you're tracking towards something pretty cool. So Paul competed for the first time last year, represented himself extremely well. He should have won the heavyweight division, but the guy that beat you was was oh man, that boy was, was light, that boy was dummy <laughs> dummy thick. He was a monster. Um so Paul, what would be your kind of future competitive goals as an athlete? Where what are you trying to grow with it? I don't make goals, man. It just sets you up for disappointment. <laughs> that's a hot take um nah i mean competitive wise competitive bodybuilding that's just kind of that's hasn't been very important to me like i i think i would like to compete again in a couple years i'd like to potentially maybe even see if i can move up to the heavyweight division from light heavy um but yeah, man, I mean, really, ultimately, I just I just like growing. I like getting bigger. That's what I want to do. And there is no end goal. It's just keep doing it. And so I'm like, man, I'm kind of old for this. If I don't stop doing this, I'm going to die early. Then like maybe slow down a little bit. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I like that. Go until I feel like I might die soon. And then that's where we pull the plug. Yeah. Okay. I can dig that. Man, Super Boo, I hope you're getting the uh, inspiring answers that you were looking for. Jay, <laughs> Jay, redeem us here. Give us some sort of inspirational. When I was growing up, my dad always told me. Uh, let's see here. Um, <clears throat> as an athlete, I guess, like, the thing with being a natty is that, you know, we tend to get better. We, our species, uh, tends to get better <laughs> as we age. Uh, so I look up to, you know, the Jeff Alberts of the world. Uh, Marshall Johnson is one of my favorite natural bodybuilders ever. And I think he actually really didn't hit his stride until he's like in his 50s. So as an athlete, that sounds to me sort of sexy. But at the same time, I, I, I do, you know, my, my interest in bodybuilding waffles personally for myself. And sometimes I'm like, I love this and sometimes I'm not. But I will say this. I started a mini cut like two months ago. And if Ryan knows well, that's often how I start a contest prep is a failed mini cut. So who knows, maybe next year is my time. Uh, so we'll see. But, but yeah, I think just to be competitive for as long as I possibly can. Um, you know, I do have goals within the bodybuilding realm. I, you know, the WNBF has always been the place that I just haven't been able to crack into quite yet. So to do well there, to uh, get 
another pro card because I love paying for pro cards every year. Um, so <laughs> get another one. Of the, get another uh, WNBF pro card. Maybe do like the World Championships one day or something like that. If I can finally nail a peak for once, maybe I'll get some help this time. But I think that as an athlete, but I'm also just no matter what I do. I'm so competitive that I'll probably move on to something else at some point in time and try to compete something else. I'm trying to get uh, Lyle McDonald to race me in speed skating sometime soon. If somebody could set that up, but uh, yeah, so we'll see. But for now, just to be competitive for as long as I possibly can until I pick something else to be competitive at. I think Lyle hates you, doesn't he? We Uh, is like, Eric, another Eric Helms that like a dude that's just trying to be mediocre in as many things as possible. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, if you want to talk bad about me, just just no, talk directly I, to me. I like Eric Helms. I think I think he's a smart guy. That was we cool. love it. No, I mean, I think I think I've heard him call himself mediocre at multiple things before. So you're merely quoting the man. Uh, man, coming back to me, this is a tough question in terms of goals as an athlete. I think curbing my athletic deficit disorder, my, my ADHD that has to do with barbell endeavors and like sticking with an activity for more than a year would like be good. Cause like I started out and I was solid, like bodybuilding was it, did that for, you know, probably upwards of like 10 years, obviously the first five years of those just being flailing around in the gym, doing nothing productive whatsoever you know, hitting some real heavy Smith machine box squats, 700 pounds, get at your boy, come at me, dog. I'm huge, look at these quads. It had to have been carryover. Um, no, I think goal this year, I would love to to crack that top 10% in the Open um, for the CrossFit Open. That'd be really, really cool to make it to the semifinals there. Um, but Thomas has told me to, you know, curb my expectations so you know whenever i feel hopeful about my own um sporting excellence he really brings me back down to earth to remind me that at the end of the day i'm just a piece of shit so thomas we love you um i think with the coaxing of mr kuza here i could probably make a return to masters bodybuilding um if i post enough of my throwback pictures and dom says enough nice things to me about them i'll, I'll probably be convinced to, as Gucci Mane would say, uh, get lost in the sauce again and make that run at the the Masters Pro Card. Man, th- these these glutes were made for stage. I'll tell you that. They were. That's what I need to do, man. <laughs> Just secure that Pro Card at 35. Just hold off. Because everyone knows the key to a successful coaching career is an IFBB Pro Card. As soon as you have that in your Instagram title, the business just absolutely booms. It's a foolproof you know, plan. Anybody how you got it. Yeah, so I'll compete this year, grow for nine years, and then I'll prep again and get my pro card at 35. Perfect. That's a nine years of growth. That's a long fucking time. That's a long time. So what I'll do, and I'll do CrossFit for the next nine years, jump into a contest prep when you're 12 weeks out, and if I beat you, I, I don't know. I think, I don't know. You have to, like, give me your dog or something. <laughs> no, I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move it over to the coaching slash uh, science educator, science communicator side of things. What would be your main goals in that arena? You know, stop the spread of misinformation, help people reach their goals, world domination, get as rich as possible. What is it? What's what's the ultimate goal? Who's going first? I'll tell you my goals. I think Paul. Okay. Uh, Work. So actually, I've sort of learned I really enjoy um, just helping people grow. I like off-season improvement training. So I'd like to get to the point uh, one day where people, that's just what I do. That's all I do. Like nobody's like, hey, can you prep me? I'm like, they know I don't do that. Um, That's the part I think I enjoy the least about being a coach or is the the stress of prepping people and dealing with all that and so i think another goal outside of that like educator wise would be to complete this coaching course that'd be nice um that would be fun but also very rewarding maybe that'll let me uh lower my client load an extra an extra source of income that'd be cool that's about it 
I think. That's it. Paul's thinking one year in advance. Dom, what's the one-year, three-year, five-year plan? So um, how you're going to be the next best, the next Lane Norton? Uh, I want to. Uh, I want to coach less, um, less people. That's a, probably a big goal of mine, which is really weird to say. But like, I want to focus more on like um, teaching personal trainers how to be a better trainer or teaching a coach how to be a better coach. I want to get more into like, which I mean, I, I'm learning shit every day. I read every day, but like, I don't know everything, but I think I know enough to help those that don't know enough. Um, I want to be able to, you know, one of my biggest pet peeves is like when I'm at the gym, I see a trainer and I'm just like, bro, how did you get this certification? Like <laughs> you're going to hurt somebody. But like, I think, I think a lot of people would uh, maybe appreciate workshops, things like that. I'm really close to a lot of the gyms around here too. So that's something I want to start hopefully doing is like teaching them more like than their NASM taught them or their ISSA taught them just so that they could get better. Um, I want to do a lot more educating. Um, when I finished my master's, it was like, do I want to keep going coaching or do I want to go into the realm of academia? And then I chose coaching because I wasn't going to do academia, Smart move. but Smart move. I like, I like the teaching. I'd rather do that and then keep my client, um, keep my client loaded at a decent spot, but nowhere near what it is right now. That's yeah. Yeah. Honestly, real quick, like I, I, I'm in the same boat as you and that's kind of what I hope eventually long-term wise, that's the route that, you know, that becomes more available through gifted is because that was something I enjoyed that got me into coaching was the educating aspect. But eventually you have so many clients that you're spread too thin. So, yeah, man. Yeah, like I, I would love to take the time to like teach every client I have, like this is why we're doing this or this is why we do that. But like Paul said, once you have too many clients, you can't you'll be talking to people for 20 hours a day. If you're trying to explain everything you're doing for them, um, which I think is cool, but like, I, I want to be able to do that for people, but I can't do that at this scale right now. So that's that's the next goal, um, doing that. Jay, let's hear it. Yeah, I think I kind of fall in line with everybody else. I mean, my goal when I first started this thing, it was I just had a passion for it. So the goal was always to kind of help as many people as I possibly can and. Now, after, after all these years, um, I can say that it's very difficult to help as many people as you can if you're doing it yourself. So if you can kind of spread that knowledge onto someone else and then they can do it, um, I think that's a little bit more effective. So that education piece is pretty, that holds high regard with me because like, like everybody else, like I go to a commercial gym and I try to keep my headphones in for as long as I possibly can. I wear a hat that's like, you can't see any of my face. And every now and then a personal trainer will be next to me. And for whatever reason, I'll turn my music down and I just listen. And then I immediately just think like, what is going on here? So I think if there were more people, more people like us that unlike Dom saying, I do know everything, Dom. And I feel like I need to pass that information on to the rest of the world. Uh, but and seriously, though, I mean, I think I think we're a lot more effective uh, for the greater good if we can sort of educate people. Just that's how we sort of uh, get that information out there so that people can get in shape healthy and they have healthy habits and they make the right de decisions. And I think that's a lot more effective than if we just try to coach a million people a year. Yeah. And Paul, Paul brings up a great point of, you know, we all individually are just one person. We can help the people that we work with, but for us, it's the, it's a limited amount. Like it's, it might be 50, 60 for Paul. It might be, you know, 70, 80 for myself, Dom, 100 plus. Jay might be, you know, like 20, 50, 20 to 30-ish. Like, and that's the time that fits our schedule. And really the only way to 5X, 10X, 20X that knowledge out into the world is to develop something like the coaching course where individuals who are interested in being better being the best online coach that they possibly can come in take a course that's 
a step above what you're offered from the NASM, the ACSM, the NSCA, and then kept into or kept inside of the mentorship group, the mentorship program that the coaching course will offer so that they're not because a lot of these certification programs, you take the course, you pass it. Here's your piece of paper. Now go fuck off and spread horrible information all over the place. Whereas they're kind of thrown off to the wind. Keeping everyone insular in one area allows individuals to continue to bounce ideas off of each other, to get better as practitioners, to spread a, a larger amount of information out there. So I think that that's more of the tool. That's the most effective tool as opposed to, and you know, the content that we produce as well that's mass consumed also helps to spread that education as well. It's it's tough. It's a tough line to, to balance when, when you're trying to do all of that. But I think that the coaching course is, is something that we're really, really excited about, really excited to put out near the end of this year. Um, and then ultimately the ultimate goal, you know what it is, that that three-year plan, or if I can talk to Dina, just all I need is one conversation with Dina, the one-year plan, um, opening up the, the Gifted Performance Complex, the GPC down in South Florida um, for all to marvel at, to come and marvel yeah. Oh, like, like one thing I'm doing right now, because you brought up the gym, like that might be my next endeavor right now. That's on the table about me opening a gym. Um, <clears throat> I've been working on a personal training handbook, teach you how to be a professional personal trainer. What kind of like, uh, what kind of attitude is expected out of a trainer? You know, are you respecting your client's time? Things like that. And then, um, a little bit about training, but more so like how to professionally be good at it. You know, again, another big pet peeve is like, like, I mean, we're, I was a trainer and I'm guilty of it too, but I've learned now, um, like being on your phone while training somebody, like I see it all the time. Like, you know, those are big, big, big things. Like this person's paying you like 60 to a hundred dollars for that hour. And you're answering a text message that can't wait 60 minutes. That's the kind of thing that, um, you know, those are things that I kind of want to like focus on. Like, you know, if I do end up opening this gym and I'm in charge of all the PT, I'm going to be doing all the hiring. And I want to make sure that that's something that's ground rule from day one. You know, if you want to track your client's program with their weights, their lifts, anything, I will happily buy an iPad for all you to use. But we're not going to be using your phones because to other people in the gym, it looks horrible. Why would why would why would that person want to train with you if you're sitting on your phone when you're with a client? So those are just things like in my handbook that like uh, I'll be able to explain to employees and things like that, or just other trainers that want to read it and just see like how could I be more professional at what I'm doing. I love how that's always like number the number one pet peeve of personal trainers. Like get the hell off your phone. Because that's like, that always bothers me too. And and you always hear people talking about that exact thing. Yeah, you'll see like on their phone while a client's doing something and the client's doing it completely wrong. Yep. Like if you weren't on your phone, you might have fixed their form and they wouldn't be doing it wrong. Yeah. Yeah, I could go on. I can go on about personal trainers. <laughs> we'll, have, we'll have the full handbook ready for you guys before you know it. All right, getting into some of our more science-based coaching questions here, getting into the weeds. At FittyCam asks, how often should one adjust their calories while in a lean bulk to assure that you are growing or to assure that one is growing? Um, does I, I, I want kind of want to set some bounds here on this one. Um so like lean bulk is an interesting, interesting phrasing. You hear it thrown around a lot. Um, I think with any bulk, there's going to be any mass gaining, any weight gaining phase, whatever you want to call it. There's going to be some sort of necessary trade off between how much muscle you are adding and how much fat you are adding. The more calories you are above maintenance, the accepted ratio of more fat to muscle gain. So Paul, what do you look for in terms of a massing phase to assure that someone is growing and when might you adjust their calories, a client's calories? Yeah, like if uh, somebody is um, trying to sort of minimize fat gain while they're growing, 
Um, well, one thing, so I track their body weight, but recently I've started adding more measurement stuff in there as well. Um, just because body weight, when you're trying to, if you're trying to minimize fat gain, you're going to be gaining weight at a slower rate. And that as its own sort of, uh, feedback for progress becomes really hard, like just on its own to, to track and monitor. Like, you know, if you're, if you're only trying to gain maybe a couple pounds a month, like, that, that just becomes really hard to track, even like using averages, like weekly averages. You might have to look at monthly averages even. And um, what I will, a, a lot of times what I'll do too is I extend the, the time that I see a weight plateau. So I might want, I might wait for a body weight to plateau for two or three weeks before I add food if we're trying to stay leaner. Because once you start adding food every week, you can easily run into that spot where like, six weeks later you're like oh shit we overshot this like we we would not we really have some like damage control to do or um what's it called uh yeah man i'm trying to think there was something else i wanted to say on that fuck it left me let me let me I add a question oh. let me let me add a question here um so the question is and I tell people this a lot, or I ask this to a lot to people a lot. Is like, if you're not seeing the scale moving, so let's say a client hits that plateau that you're talking about for three weeks, where three weeks in a row their weekly average weight is the exact same. In that plateauing period, did muscle gain occur? So if the scale isn't yeah. moving, are we gaining muscle? No, yeah. So that's important too because even for let's say even an enhanced individual where your gains are going to be more rapid, like we're talking like these little microscopic changes in your muscle and enough of them have to accumulate and enough of these changes have to accumulate to move that scale. Like that takes some fucking time. Like that takes, you know, months. I mean, I like to, to gain a true pound of muscle as like an advanced individual, like that, that can take a long time and people underestimate like, what a pound of muscle actually is you know and you always hear people like get the example of look at like a pound of ground beef or whatever you know um and then oh another thing i want to say on the rate of weight gain too because i will you know um have a target weight goal and it could be something like you know depending on whether the individual is natural or enhanced like uh you know, it could be something like an average of 0.25% body weight or half a percent to uh, 1% or something, or maybe like a half percent or a half a pound to a pound on average a week. But another thing you want to look out for is the, like, you don't want any of that to happen too fast. Like, if you're like, okay, over these the 16 weeks, we're gonna, we want to gain 10 pounds or 15 pounds, you know, like, for, for somebody like that, they would obviously be enhanced, but we don't want to gain 10 of those within the first four weeks. Like you, you want to be very deliberate when you're talking about averages too. Yeah. Dom, what were you going to say before I rudely interrupted you? No, I was just saying like, um, during like a massing phase, I like to see plateaus before adding food just so like, like Paul said, like you're not adding too fast. And then that person ends up like really soft at the end of it because we were just like in a hurry to keep adding food. And then like, uh, if they do training with me too, we, I mean, you, we look at performance, you know, we know that getting stronger might have some correlation to hypertrophy at that point. Um, and then like, I, I feel like people just try to eat a lot when they're trying to grow. And sometimes I don't think that's always the case. You, you obviously need to be in some kind of surplus, but I think people really overshoot it like they just think they have to add food every week i mean even when i was like reversing and then in my growth phase with paul my calories didn't get like crazy crazy high they got to like three thousand, but i was growing a good amount getting stronger a good amount and my body weight was moving was moving slow but really consistently but like i just said about the food like i mean there was weeks where it was just like all right no changes no changes no changes but I was consistently seeing progress. I think people just have this notion of like, I'm in a bulk, I have to eat a lot. Like, no matter what. 
And I think it hurts a lot of people at the end because then they try to get out of the bulk and they're like either mini cutting and a mini cut's not enough to do the damage control that happened. Or they try to start a prep and then it's just like, dude, we need 24 weeks to do this prep or even longer maybe because we got too soft in this growth phase. Yeah, it's a it's a phrasing thing, right? It's like they think that they need to be eating a lot in a bulk. You don't need to necessarily be eating a lot. You need to be eating enough. And enough, like you said, is a calorie surplus. The magnitude of that surplus will then dictate how much fat you gain versus how much muscle you gain. And with an industry that's somewhat, is it fat phobic? Where they're like afraid to get fat? Is that how you call fat phobic? Or is fat phobic afraid of fat people? Let me Google it. <laughs> All right. We'll come, we'll come back. We'll clarify it. For now, we'll go with fat phobic. Um, Jay, especially in like natural crowds. Obesiophobia. I'm obesiophobia. Okay. Yeah. Obesiophobia. It is. Um, fear of gaining weight. Okay. Fear of gaining weight. All right. I like it. Um, do you think that this can take away from the lifetime potential of a natural who may have to do away with the idea of lean bulk and just accept the fact that if they want to grow as much muscle as possible, they're probably going to have to gain what they view as an uncomfortable amount of body fat? Yeah. I mean, usually when I get into these conversations, I, I typically, it usually comes from the younger crowd. So I typically have to kind of, let's define what you think lean bulk is first. And if it's a situation where they're like, you know, a, a guy that's barely lifted, you know, I've got six months under my belt and I want to lean bulk. And I just say, let's just get rid of that altogether. And I try to, you basically have to like talk them away from that idea, you know, because especially as a, you know, as a natural athlete, you don't really have a ton of progress you can make. And you have that first, I mean, that first six months, I know from experience, like I gained, I think it was like 25 pounds in the first six months. Like it was some ridiculous number. And it's because I wasn't overly concerned about calories. I was just concerned about, I need to hit this number to make myself feel better about it. So I wasn't worried about lean bulking. So I think it makes a big difference, not a, a giant difference, but I mean, it probably does make a big difference as a natural, just because you can only make but X amount of progress. And if you kind of create these weird barriers towards that progress, you're probably just, ext you're extending the amount of time you can get till you, you know, you reach your fullest potential. And then that once you get to that point, then you're making little micro adjustments. You're making very small amount of progress for a very long time. So I think, you know, it, it makes a bit of a difference as a natural to just realize like you're probably going, I think it is, it might be Eric Helms or it might be Birdo or somebody like that that says, you know, the weight that's going to allow you to make the best progress may not be the weight that you want to see, or it may not be the, you know, the weight that you look best in at in the mirror i think a lot of people just need to realize that yeah and i think there is some variability there in terms of and obviously in a social media culture where people who stay leaner in the off season are going to be more aesthetically pleasing to look at on like in video and picture format people are naturally attracted to that leaner off season and they say this must be the ideal when it's more the exception to the norm like the most successful bulks are going to be ones where like maybe you don't look so pretty at the end we're not talking full dreamer bulk 35 percent body fat at the end but as a male you might be pushing up 25 22 to 25 percent body fat near the end of that you don't have any abs showing you're not vascular anything like that yeah i think i read somebody made a post that i think was really good where they basically said you know there's this idea in natural bodybuilding that there's all these great physiques that are just sort of hiding somewhere. And then all of a sudden they show up and they make this giant splash. And it's like, no, those are the guys and gals that were sitting off to the side and they were just growing for years. And then all of a sudden they yeah. compete. So they didn't spend any time lean bulking. They were just putting on, t oh, I almost said tissue. I almost said it. They were, just <laughs> oh. <laughs> they, were, they were just putting on muscle for an extended period of time. As opposed to thinking like, oh, I don't want to lose my abs and all that stuff. Even even yeah. on the enhanced side, I think Hunter Labrada is a good example of this. Like the guy went dark and you didn't hear anything from him for like a full year, 18 months. And then he came back and it was it was the exact phrasing that you just used, Jay. Like he came out of nowhere. Like, no, he didn't. He didn't come out of nowhere. He was always there. He was just getting fucking jacked 
while you were worried about your bicep vein for the next Fit Expo. Yeah, I mean, dude, that's what I did. My whole first five years lifting, all I did was eat, and I I probably did get too fat. I probably was like 35% body fat. But, I mean, I didn't cut for five years. And then, finally, when I did diet down as, like, a natural, like, I had an impressive physique, you know, because I didn't worry about I, – I, that That was just five years straight of focusing on nothing but growing. You know what I mean? And meanwhile, I'm watching all these people around me train for five years and look almost exactly the fucking same, you know. Um, And then another thing is, uh, you know, especially when you're younger and you have the best gains of your life to get they're They're just right in front of you. Like. Exploit that, like stay lean once you've made the majority of your gains and you're not gaining that much and you're you're older and now now you, you've you've made you spent all these years creating an impressive physique now you can go ahead and like stay lean for instagram or compete every year if you want to compete like don't blow all of that time like dieting six months a year um when you're between like 20 to 28 you know yeah I, that's a big re i that's why i tell a lot of younger guys not to compete like stop trying to get cut for summer. Like if you're actually serious about this, like stop putting yourself in these calorie deficits constantly because you're just losing like any kind of like ground that you've been making. You're taking four steps back to move two steps forward. You're just going backwards. Like and you had all this potential, all this maximal, like, like Paul said, like that's like your prime growing right in the beginning. Why ruin it with like, I need abs for summer. Like, no, you don't. Like, if you're actually serious about this and want to take it somewhere, just keep growing, keep growing. Like, I'll, I'll get guys at, like, 18, 19 will be like, hey, I want to do my first show. Why? Like, you've only been training for three years. You want to, you know, compete for what? You know, why not take another three to four years and just keep growing and keep, yeah, you could do little mini cuts, but you don't need to be, like, dieted down for a show. I think it eats up so much. Like, like after this, I probably won't compete for another couple of years just because like I took all those years off. I put a lot of, I put a lot of size on and I grew a lot and I probably won't do it again. And, and this time too, I'd be more comfortable with getting softer. My next growth, we, we kept it pretty lean just because I had the intention to prep right after, but like this time I'd be way more comfortable with getting softer because I know it results in more growth. Get fat, Dom. We want to and see fat, probably, Dom. And you're probably like me where you say a couple years because – and it's just like, yeah, maybe in a couple years. But, like, really it's whenever I feel like I'm ready, whenever I've made something worth looking at that's different than the last time. You know yeah, what I mean? that's how I look at it. Like, I don't want to get on time. stage year after year and, like, have the same back or the same hamstrings or the same arms. I want to see a difference. Like – I don't, I don't get why people like are always in the rush to compete, man. We're, we're going off tangent, but it's like, I, it's just, but it, it does have to go back with bulking and growing. Just like those guys don't grow long enough. And that's why they don't see big physique changes year to year. It's like the eight competition posts that you see in one year or like two years from someone like, ah, judges just, Judges just didn't like the package that I brought. It's like they didn't like the package that you brought eight shows ago and you never took any time to have a different package. So, of course, they don't fucking like it. And here we are two years later and you've made absolutely no progress and now you hate bodybuilding. Like, take some time off. Get big. Do some training, especially, especially if you're young. And if another young guy, 18, 19, been training for a couple years, comes to me and says, hey, what do you think my weak points are? We're gonna we're gonna have to throw hands. You the whole thing. You are all you are the weak point. You all of it. Everything. <laughs> neck down, weak point. Train None. all of it. They're neck this, too. Just this cheeks too. down. <laughs> and another thing, I mean, I look at like uh look at the longevity of the guys that compete super early. Like those the guys that I got you they do well at like teen nationals, and then after that they just disappear because after that they're just so burnt out. You never see them again. They're out selling shoes. I think it's even worse now, Jason, because those kids now have all this social media. And, like, when they go and win teen nationals or go do uh, teen national shows and whatnot, 
they post it, they get all their hype from all their high school, they get all this, and then they just try to be that person and try to just go a thousand miles an hour after that they end up just falling flat right on their face because um, they you let... So- you sound so fucking old right now. I'll tell you what the problem is. It's these kids. They got their social medias. Uh, their social media is books a- in their Ubstagrams. I made a good but point. We, we <laughs> like, it was a great point. It was actually a great point to end on. Uh, that's going to be our last question. We are coming up on that hour mark, and we value your time. And you know what? If we miss some questions, we will get them on the next one. Guys, like, comment, subscribe, the usual stuff. You know what to do. Make us famous. YouTube ad revenue. Buy an island in Sri Lanka. Gifted Performance Island. Will we invite you? Maybe. Maybe not. Only way to find out is to make sure that we are getting that ad revenue in the first place. We will see you on the next one. As always, stay gifted. Paul? Yay.